So if you want to grab your Bible or your outline, we're going to be in Psalm 127. Last week we began a series about this psalm, Psalm 127. And if you look in your Bible, there's a little descriptor right above it that will actually say a song of ascents and then of Solomon. And let me explain that to you. So Jerusalem is up on the top of a hill. And so the people of God, as they were heading to the religious festivals in Jerusalem, as they were ascending up into Jerusalem, they would sing these songs, okay? Somebody said last week, so like, this is like an ancient version of the wheels on the bus or a hundred bottles of beer on the wall. I'm like, I don't think you really want to go there with scripture, but you know, to each his own, all right? So it's a song of ascents, and then it also said of Solomon. We learned this about Solomon last week. He's a man of wisdom, a master builder, a bit of a social train wreck. We'll talk about that next week, and then a philosopher as well. And in one of his moments, when God is directing him, he writes these words. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those that he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in the court. So last week, we actually began to build a home, a home that we dream for not only our physical home, but our church home and any other kind of home that we're connected with, a home that would actually have eternal outcomes. And using the outcomes of Psalm 127, we began some construction right? If you were here last week, we started with the foundation of Jesus and his word, a foundation that doesn't crack or shift or break. And then we added the living stones of human beings, people who are broken and far from God, but now are living as adopted children of the most high God. Then we added a frame, a frame of hope and restoration, because that's the story we told. And then we put up some walls, walls of transparency and protection. And then we needed something to cover all of it. So we added a covering of prayer and opened ourselves up to the renovation of our own character. And then finally, we added doors that were open to the lost and broken. Doors not only that they could come in and join in the journey towards Jesus, but doors where we would actually go out and pursue people and share the message of Jesus all across Whatcom County. And then as we kind of finished up last week, over top of the door, we put a Latin phrase, nisi dominus frustra, which literally means, unless the Lord builds the house, straight out of Psalm 127. Well, this week's focus, we're going to look at the second little phrase there. So the first phrase, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Second phrase, unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. And that second phrase is loaded with meaning. Before Laurel and I pastored here at Christ the King 15 years ago, we actually pastored in another church here in the county. And at that particular church building, there was an alarm system that became my nemesis. I hated it. It hated me. I felt like every time I walked up to it, there were like little security gremlins hanging off the wires, elbowing each other as I came up and just like, hey, watch, stupid's going to put in his bank code one more time, right? And then the alarms are going to go off and everything's going to freak out and we're going to scare him to death. That's exactly how I felt every time that I approached it. Well, one morning, beautiful, quiet, serene morning, I show up to church early because I was actually supposed to preach the next weekend, was working on a message, was upstairs. So I walk in the building, unlock the door, punch in the code, look at the little flashing green light, we're all good, then walk upstairs to my office and I begin to work on my particular message that weekend. And then I'm sitting up there and I think to myself, self, what is that noise? What is that high-pitched whistling noise? 
that high-pitched whistling noise that resembles the noise that you hear when you haven't disarmed the alarm and something bad is going to happen in just a few moments. What is that noise? You should go investigate that self because otherwise this is probably not going to go well for you. So I go down the steps. My office is up on the second floor. I go down the steps and I am greeted by the entire Everson Police Department. Okay, now, don't freak out. There's only three of them, okay, all right? And it must have been a boring morning in Everson because they all showed up because they had nothing else to do, all right? But I walk down. I actually know some of those guys, but still, it's instinctual. You run into three guys in uniforms with their hands on their hip. I'm like, my hands are in the air, right? I'm like, praise Jesus. You know, this is an awesome moment right here. And they're all kind of like twitched out, but we're all looking at each other. And then we recognized each other. It's like, okay, everybody calm down. And then we had a nice conversation. And they encouraged me to learn how to punch four digits into the little box correctly, and then I sinned in my brain against them and went back up to my office to write a message on respect and honor. Okay, all right, so it's kind of how it was working out that morning, right? This is what killed me about that scenario. The very system that was designed to protect me just about got me shot. I mean, Solomon's making an obvious point here. Unless God watches over a city, the guards can stand watch all they want to, and honestly, it's in vain. So here's the point, folks. We are not our own security. Have we figured that out? Okay, make sure you get this. This doesn't mean we shouldn't be watchful. It doesn't mean we should be negligent. It doesn't mean it's smart for you to walk down sketchy back alleys in Bellingham singing God is able at the top of your lungs, okay? (laughs) Holding up your wallet, right? This is not a smart idea. This phrase means we're supposed to acknowledge that in our strength, we can't even watch over ourselves, much over watch over an entire city. The only protection that provides peace of mind comes from the fact that ultimately God provides protection. If God's not watching, you can watch all you want to. And we all try to watch, don't we? I mean, we put in protective measures. Some of you have security systems over your, over your home. Nothing wrong with that. I think it's good to be watchful. We put in protective measures. We insure our stuff in case something ever bad ever happens to it, and then we can get our stuff back. That's wise, unless, of course, you're going overboard, okay? As I'm getting older, and I'm not old, but my conversations with my doctor, I don't think I'm old, all right? People started laughing. What's up with that, right? I don't think I'm old, but my conversations with my doctor have changed over the last couple of years. All of a sudden now, he's telling me to watch things. I'm supposed to watch my cholesterol. That means I'm eating oatmeal, right? That's old people food. In my world, I'm just saying, okay, all right? Write me a letter if that's your deal, all right? But I'm just like, I'm I'm supposed to be watching this, and I'm supposed to eat a handful of almonds every single day to get my cholesterol numbers down. All of a sudden, I'm watching things I never used to watch before, right? I'm supposed to watch my weight. I'm supposed to watch my waistline. I'm still watching my kids. We're supposed to watch our investments. We're supposed to watch our speedometer, right? All these things that we're supposed to be doing, we're watching. But ultimately, the reality is this. We are not in control of anything. Has anybody else noticed that? We're not in control of anything. We've got to rely on God's protection ultimately. And here's what's interesting about God's protection. It's available, but it's not assumed. Talked about this in a message a couple weeks ago. God provides protection for his children. But the reality is, I can step out from underneath of that protective covering every time I sin or disobey. I get to make that choice. 
God provides a covering. I can step out from under it. And I'm a little freaked out because we're going to take apart a chunk of Scripture. We're using Psalm 127 as the basis, but we're actually going to end up in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. I'm a little freaked out by the number of times a little two-letter word shows up in the text. The word is if. If they will obey. If they keep my commandments. If they choose to honor me. If they come to my house and fellowship, if, then I will protect them. So God builds a house and God watches over it. So just like we learned last week, the human hand without the hand of God, completely in vain. The human eyes without the eyes of God, completely and totally in vain. I mean, all human activity without God at the core, it's just simply wasted. That's what Solomon says. In fact, halfway through Psalm 127, he says these words. He goes, in vain, you rise up early and you stay up late, toiling for food to eat. I mean, even these basic human activities of getting up early in the morning and working all day long and then going to bed at night, all of them are wasted unless you understand this. God woke you up this morning. The only reason you're breathing is because God said you could. He will wake you up in the morning, sustain you through the day, provide the protection that only He can provide, pray that you actually stay underneath of it, and then He'll tuck you in bed at night, and He and only He gets to decide whether or not you get to wake up tomorrow morning or not. Because that's where the security of God comes from. So Solomon builds God a temple. It's supposed to be a permanent home for God to dwell with His people. And that's why this, this psalm is so unbelievably potent for us. Because he's saying, as a master builder, unless the Lord builds it, it's just wood and bricks and mortar. This is an artistic rendering. Actually, it was a model that we ran into in Jerusalem of the original temple that Solomon built. It doesn't look very impressive in this picture, but I'll tell you what. Most of it was overlaid with gold, cedar beams from Lebanon. I mean, it was absolutely breathtaking. They said at the time, there was nothing like it on the face of the earth. It was that beautiful. And Solomon constructs that. He puts it all together, and then he invites God to come. You can actually read about the construction of the temple in 2 Chronicles chapters 1 through 5. This is a picture of the same piece of ground modern today. What's interesting is this. If you're a Christian or if you're Jewish, you don't get to go up on there anymore because it's under Muslim control. You're not welcome. Even though this was the place where God had resided. In fact, I want you to notice something. If you see down here on the bottom, this is the Temple Mount. That's the Dome of the Rock. Down here, you see this little group of people that are all standing down there at the bottom? That place is known as the Wailing Wall. It's where Orthodox Jewish people come to pray. You know why they pray in that location? Because it's as close as they can get to where the Holy of Holies, where God resided, it's the closest that they can get where it used to be. It's actually a heartbreaking place to go temple is almost finished. And Solomon, this master builder, stands over top of that piece of real estate and he prays. He prays from the bottom of his heart. So I want you to picture him. He's praying over this. He's saying and actually telling us what the character of God is based on his prayer. Now some of you are going to look at it and go, so what? Why does this matter? Does anybody in the room understand what the temple of God looks like today? Just in case you're wondering, it's not the building you're sitting inside of. Not even close. If you need a picture of the temple, right here. I'm looking at a picture of the temple of God. 
So everything that Solomon's going to pray about here, this is personal. This is internal. This is about every single one of us. This is about how God interacts with us as people. So Solomon's prayer over the house that God built, it's a prayer of a man of wisdom laying out the security of God's house. And the security of God's house had nothing to do with the structure. This place is not holy because it's a church. It's not because of the bricks and the mortar and the steel. This place is holy because God chooses to show up here. And he shows up here in the lives of every single one of us. That's what makes this place beautiful. That's why this place is secure. Because God is actually here in this place. And that's a clue for all of us that are trying to create godly homes. When we have God in the center of it, God builds a covering of security over top of it. That's what makes it secure. So we've been learning all about God's nature. We did a six-month series called God Is. It's almost like we planned it to culminate with Psalm 127. Actually, we did plan it that way, okay, all right? And so as we're walking through this, I just want to show you how Solomon teaches us who God is and how that touches our hearts. So God's house is secure because God is, from 2 Chronicles 6, from his prayer, God is worthy of praise. Solomon says this in verse 14, O Lord, God of Israel, there's no God like you in heaven and on earth. So Solomon, praying over top of this amazing temple, is saying God is worthy of praise, magnificent to behold, worthy of honor, destined to be adored. And when we worship God, when we lift up the name of Jesus, something happens to us. We're protected. Protected from fear. Protected from doubts. Why else is God's house secure? God's house is secure because God is taking up primary residence there. Solomon asks a question in verse 18. But will God really dwell with men on earth? And then he asks another question. How can that happen when the heavens can't contain him? I mean, how is he supposed to limit himself down into this little tiny building when he's so expansive, like we learned in the God Is series, when he's so big you can't contain him? Well, that's kind of how God operates, right? In the Old Testament, God inhabits the temple. In the New Testament, God inhabits the form of a baby. Infinitely small. Able to limit himself. So that he could come and once and for all provide security for everyone that had wandered far from God. Let's keep going. God's house is secure because God is listening. We learned this in the series too. Verse 19, Solomon says, Hear the cry and prayer that your servant is praying in your presence. We know this to be true. God is listening. He hears our thoughts, our doubts, our requests, our pain. He heard your internal and external dialogue all the way to his house this morning. That should excite some of you and horrify other people in the room. He heard every single word. Let's keep going. God's house is secure because God is watching with spiritual sight. Verse 20 says, may your eyes be open towards this temple day and night. That's been my prayer for our church over this last couple of weeks. God, may your eyes be open to see what's really happening. Solomon knows this. God sees with spiritual eyes. He sees our future. He sees our past. He sees our present. He sees us. He chooses to see his son standing in front of us so that when he looks at us, it's not our sin that's counted against us. It's everything that Jesus did right that's given to us as a gift. Let's keep going. God's house is secure because it's covered with his name. God is covering with his name. Solomon says this, God, you said you'd put your name there. You'd write your name over top of the door. 
If you ever wonder why we called our church what we called our church, it's because we just thought that the owner of everything here should probably have his name on the front of the building. It would just make sense, right? So every time you walk in that front door, we're coming underneath of that covering, knowing that God put his name, that God put his name in that place at that time. You know, every day God names you. And I know some of you have a complete misperception about this. You think God sits in heaven, looks at you, and then just says, God. And he names you failure or, or reprobate or someone that just can't quite get it figured out. That is so far from the truth. The Bible says he names us, not disgusting sinner, not 400th chance fish book. He labels us under his name with three letters, H-I-S, his. You're his. And that gives us security because he watches over us and he names us. Let's keep going. God's house is secure because God is dispensing divine judgment. Verse 23, Solomon asked God, judge your servants. Judge between your servants. And we have a hard time with that, don't we? We love God as a loving father. We struggle with him as a righteous judge. And we tend to isolate him in either one of those. We tend to push him so far over into the heavenly father that it's just like, he's the nice guy. He's the benevolent God. He slaps everybody a high five that comes waltzing into heaven. Everybody gets in eventually. It's all good. Just call it good. You know, God's a God of grace and he grades on a curve. That's how we picture him. Or we slide him into the other category where he's a righteous judge and he sits in heaven behind his great big bench and he's got a gavel and every time we do something wrong, he whacks us in the forehead with it. Neither one is the picture of the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible holds love and justice in perfect tension all of the time. He's willing to love. He's also willing to judge. His heart is compelled towards people, but then he calls people out of their sin into a place where holiness and righteousness are just expected because that's who God is. There's security in knowing God holds both of those in tension. Let's keep going. God's house is secure because God is choosing to forgive. Verse 25, forgive the sin of your people, Israel, and bring them back. I love that. Even though God knows my wicked heart, he chooses, when I come to my senses, to forgive and restore. Let's keep going. God's house is secure because God is choosing to share wisdom. Verse 27, it says, teach them the right way to live, God. Which means God is seeking to teach us how to live. The question is, are we actually willing to listen and learn the lessons? Let's keep going. God's house is secure because God's providing protection. In verses 28 through 31, Solomon begins to just walk through a list, a list of some pretty ugly stuff. He talks about famine, plague. He throws in mildew. That must be for the people of the Pacific Northwest, okay? He says locusts, enemies, disease. And we know this. God provides protection over those things And at the same time, he understands that our reality is we live in a broken world where that stuff actually happens. I mean, you can just open up CNN right now and you'll see a story of famine and plague and enemies and disease. And we are caught in that tension of how how does God protect us in the midst of a broken world? And what we learn is simple. There are times when God provides a supernatural layer of protection while we're going through really, really difficult stuff. And in those moments, we've got to make a decision. Are we going to allow God to be our most powerful ally or are we going to make him our most convenient enemy? 
Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you learned a valuable life lesson when your life was just perfect? Doesn't happen, does it? Under the protection of God, learning how to handle a very broken world. Let's keep going. God is, uh, God's house is secure because God is open to welcoming those who are far from God. Verses 32 and 33, Solomon says, God, how are, how are you going to deal with a foreigner that just shows up? Somebody who was drawn here by the power of your amazing name. What are you going to do? And the answer in the scripture is obvious. God says, I will welcome him. I'll welcome him under my protection. I will welcome him into my house because my house is a place of safety. Isn't it ironic that the place now where the temple sits, you're not welcome. That's not God's heart. Let's wrap up with one more piece. God's house is secure because God is desiring repentance. Listen to Solomon talk about his people. He basically paints a picture, says, God, at some point, these people, we're going to forget about you. But if we ever get a clue, this would be our heart's desire. He says this, and if they have a change of heart in the land where they are held captive, and they repent and plead with you in the land of their captivity, and they say, we've sinned, we've done wrong and acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you with all of their heart and soul in the land of their captivity where they were taken, and they pray toward the land that you gave their ancestors, toward the city that you've chosen, toward the temple that I have built for your great name, then from heaven, your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their pleas, uphold their cause and forgive your people who've sinned against you. Solomon says, God, if we ever have a change of heart, if, if all of a sudden we see that, that we've gone away and we develop a heart to return home, a heart to step back under God's protection, a heart not to presume on His forgiveness, but to turn away from evil, a heart to admit that we blew it, a heart to come back to worship and praise, a heart to embrace humility. This is His prayer. God, will you open the doors of your house again and welcome us in? This is so personal for us. Because this is God's temple. In every prayer that Solomon prays, he understands already how God works and the fact that God is saying to every one of us, if you've wandered away, it's time to come home. If you've stepped out from under protection, you need to get back underneath. If you've stripped off the name of Jesus, it's time to put it back where it belongs. This prayer is personal. You know, Solomon prays out the character of God that he knows to be true. And what's amazing is he gets an answer. It's a famous answer. Most people don't put it together with all the stuff that we just talked about. But God's lead architect on this building project, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. God then answers the architect with these words. He says, Solomon, I've heard your prayer. And then he says this. If you grew up in church, you might recognize it. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Solomon says, folks, you can watch all you want to. But if God's not watching, it's a waste of time. But the truth is God is watching. God is watching and waiting for a people to take his name, to be humble, 
to seek his face, to turn from their wicked ways, to pray, to be heard, to be forgiven, and to be healed. You know, these verses are both a comfort and a call. But make no mistake, it's a call. This is what God is calling us to do. Be humble, pray, seek God's face, and turn from your wicked way. I mean, it's amazing. You know what happens when we live that out? When we actually do that, the Bible actually tells us there's a specific outcome. In fact, Solomon tells us, not back in 2 Chronicles, he tells us back in Psalm 127. Beautiful little phrase, stuck right in the middle of the, uh, of the psalm. If you read it fast, you're going to blow right over top of it. This is what God says happens when we're willing to pray that prayer, to be humble, to seek his face, turn from our wicked ways. This is the payoff. He grants sleep to those that he loves. You get to rest easy. Because your being protected is not just reliant on you. It's reliant on a God that never sleeps and never misses it. You know, you read that. He grants sleep to those that he loves. Okay, let's just be clear, all right? This does not mean God doesn't love you if you're battling insomnia, okay? Can we get that straight, all right? There have been times in my life I've battled insomnia. Doesn't mean God didn't love me. Now, let's be truthful. Sometimes there are physical reasons for a lack of sleep. Sometimes there are spiritual reasons for a lack of sleep. I had a guy last night approach me after the service. I thought this was awesome. He said, Grant, this is what I learned growing up. He goes, when, when you wake up in the middle of the night, it's either God waking you up or the devil waking you up, and under either circumstance, you should end up talking to God. Isn't that good? That's good stuff. When people are at peace, they rest easy. I'm not predominantly reformed in my theology, but I can tell you, I sleep like a Calvinist because I believe God is absolutely sovereign. Even when the world looks like it's just shaken and fallen apart, I can step back and say, my God's in control of that. My God knows that. My God understands that. God understands everything that's happening around me. So I'm able to rest easy while I'm being responsible and watchful because He is watching. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. So last night I had a practical application of this. It's around seven o'clock and I'm here preaching and I've got my cell phone in my pocket. I don't usually carry my phone, but I had it in my pocket because my daughter, who is working somewhere here in the city of Bellingham, she was taking a late shift, and she was actually closing down the store that she works at. And it's in a, neighbor of, a neighborhood of Bellingham I'm not crazy about. I would not want my daughter to be out just walking around on her own. So I had that there, and, and I'm, you know, trying to be watchful as best I can while I'm also filling my responsibilities. Because I just wanted to make sure my daughter got from the door of her store into her car to be able to head home. If I'd wanted to, I could have been there as a dad, right, in the parking lot when she came out the door, right? Just like, okay, here you go. You're coming out. And you're tracking all the way across that. Hi, just daddy. It's okay. You're good. You're good. And 
get in the car and lock the doors, and that's good. And now pull out and navigate onto I-5 and then onto the guide meridian, and we will pray that the Holy Spirit ushers you all the way home because we know who all is driving on that road. Okay, right? <laughs> Could have done that. And can I tell you something, dads? There's a time when you should do that. I still remember this story. Laurel left home in the midst of a snowstorm. One hour drive from her house to the campus where she was going to college. Brutal snowstorm. And a pair of headlights followed her all the way. And when she pulled into the campus, she turned around and looked in her mirror. And she realized that her dad had followed her all the way to school. Flipped around and was on his way all the way back. There's a time when you're supposed to do that as a father. But you know what allowed me to rest easy last night? I may not have been there to watch her. But we both have a heavenly father who was. And Jesus was. And you can make fun of him if you want to. Jesus was in that parking lot going, okay, here she comes. (laughs) Out the door. And now I'm going to take her by the hand. And I'm going to walk her to her car. And I'm going to hold the door open for her because she's a princess of the Most High God. And I'm going to allow her to sit in there and I'm going to close the door. And not only am I going to bless her as she heads north, I'm going to follow her home. How beautiful is that level of security? So in the house of God, this is His call. This is His command and this is His comfort.